All right, Matthew chapter 5, go ahead and stand looking at verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Father, help us to be people of truth. God, I pray that you would help us to believe your truth. Uh, God, help us to speak truth. God, I pray that you bring about repentance uh, for dishonesty, for lying, for breaking covenants. God, I ask you to to make us a people who have a heart righteousness in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if you've been with us the last uh, months, several months, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' teaching uh, in Matthew 5 and chapter 6 that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so thus far, Jesus has been comparing the righteousness of the kingdom. So he's saying, look, if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, then this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to, to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to have God's heart righteousness, all right? And, and then he compares that to the righteousness of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So you might call them the scribes, the Pharisees, the, um, sometimes they're called the, the priests, the elders, kind of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And we, we often call them the rule keepers, Okay. Because they, like many folks in northwest Oklahoma, they thought that you could get to heaven by being good enough, right? So, so they just thought, okay, we can get to heaven by keeping these rules. And so what they did was they took God's law and then they, they minimized it, right? So, so that's what rule keepers do, right? We kind of change the rules so that we fit, so that we, we pass, right? Uh, and, and that's what they were doing. And so in, in Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says this. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, look, you can't get into heaven this way. You can't get into heaven as a rule keeper. There's no way. And the reason there's no way is because we've all broken the rules. We've all, we've all already sinned against God. And so Jesus shows that, and he, he compares the two righteousness uh, by, by going back to the Old Testament. And so, for instance, in verse 21, this was about a month ago, we looked at this passage. Jesus takes the commandment on murder, right? He says, well, you've already said thou shalt not murder. Now, what do the scribes and Pharisees do with that? Well, they basically said, look, as long as you haven't killed anybody, as long as you have not stopped anybody from breathing, then you have God's righteousness. Like all God was getting at when he gave that commandment is he just didn't want us to kill each other, you know? But he really doesn't care if we're angry, bitter, resentful, unforgiving, harsh, mean-spirited, slanderous. Uh, I guess you could even take it as far as, you know, if you beat each other to a pulp, you know, God's still up there saying, hey, it's all good as long as you don't kill anybody, right? And Jesus says, that's not God's standard. That's not God's heart standard. That's not what God is looking for, for the kingdom of heaven. So, so God's standard of heart righteousness is that you be a person who turns away from anger and quickly reconciles. 
that you be the kind of person that has a heart righteousness. And then he goes to the next commandment. He says, well, you've heard it said in the seventh commandment that you should not commit adultery. Now, again, the scribes and Pharisees said, well, you know, hey, as long as you didn't have a sexual relationship with somebody else's spouse, then you're good. But Jesus comes back and says, that's not God's standard. God's standard is a heart standard. And he doesn't want you to lust. He doesn't want you to be addicted to pornography. He doesn't want you to sexually harass other people. He, he wants you to have a heart standard of purity. And then he goes to the next commandment, and he, and he talks about God's standard of marriage and divorce in the Old Testament. And the, the scribes and Pharisees, they had summarized that. They basically minimized that to, hey, you can get a divorce as long as you fill out the paperwork, right? He said, you know, they quoted Moses saying, you know, fill out the certificate of divorce. They misquoted Moses, right, in doing that. And so basically they said, as long as it's legal, as long as your lust is legalized, then it's all good. And Jesus said, no, the, my people will have a heart standard, a heart standard of righteousness that causes them to keep their commitment in marriage and to love one another as Christ has loved the church, right? And so today we're moving one step forward and Jesus is talking about the subject of truth. What does the Bible say about truth and what is God's standard of righteousness for us in speaking truth? Before we get there though, I, I think it's appropriate with this subject for us to lay a foundation, okay? Because anytime you start talking about truth, Man, I, I think you need to know what the Bible says about truth, okay? So here, here's, here's essentially the foundation that I believe everything we believe in the gospel rests upon, and that is this, okay? Number one, God is truth, okay? God is truth. Now, what we mean by that is that God is the standard of truth. Everything he says is true. It is true because he said it, right? He is the ultimate reality of the universe, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. All right, Jesus said of himself, I am truth. Now what that means is, is that God, Jesus, they are everything they say they are. They're everything the Bible says they are. They're, they, they've done everything the Bible says they've done. And then here's the really sweet one. They will do everything the Bible says they will do. You see, when we see that God is truth, we see that God can be depended upon. God, 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 we can rest our life on him. We can build our life on God because he is truth. You see, if, if, he, if he were like the advertisers on television, then, you know, that tell us that we can have, you know, abs of steel, you know, with five short minutes a day on this particular machine and we get it home and realize that actually what it's for is to hang clothes on, you know, if God were that way, Man, we, we could not build our life on him, right? Like, like, like we, would, we would open up our Bibles and we would see what he says about marriage and we would see what he says about anger. We would see what he says about purity and about sexual morality. And we couldn't trust him. Like we wouldn't know. Is, is he just trying to draw us in, you know? And then we get in there and he's like, ah, you know, I, I was kind of exaggerating. I was just kidding. That's not God. God is truth. He is truth completely. And because God is truth completely, we can base our life upon him. Here, here's the wonderful thing. When God says something is valuable, it really is. When God says you should pursue this thing, you should. Like with all your heart, no matter what it costs, relentlessly, you should go after it. And you can know that what he says is right. What he says is true. When, when God says something is evil, when God says something is sin, when God says something is worthless, listen, you can run from it in full confidence knowing that God is, God is right about that. You, you see, this is where Adam and Eve messed up, right? Like God said, hey, don't eat of this tree. 
And then Satan comes along, which is our next pillar, okay? Now, now who is Satan? Well, the Bible says in John 8, 44, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. All right, and so Satan comes along and he says, oh, man, no, 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 God, God was mixed up on that. He didn't tell you the whole truth. He just wants to keep good from you. And when they believed the lie, their life and our lives fell apart. You see, God is truth, okay, in every way. You can depend on him. You can base your life on him. You, you, you can look in his word, and whatever he says, run after it. You run after that. Whatever he says, run from, you from, run from that. And Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And not only is Satan a liar and the father of lies, which means that he will not do what he says he will do, but he also plays on our spiritual brokenness. Okay, so every one of us, actually, this is not too strong to say, every one of us was born a liar. Okay, see, we're all born broken. We're all born in deception and we deceive. Right? You, you don't have to keep... You know, does it, has anybody ever taught your kid to lie? You know, does that has ever happened like when they're just toddlers, two, three, and they're just starting to figure things out, you know, and, and, and they weren't supposed to have a cookie, and they crawled up there, and you can see the crumbs everywhere, and they got all over their mouth, and you say, hey, did, did you eat that? Did you eat a cookie? And they're like, no, not at all. You know, nobody taught them to do that. Nobody said, hey, you know, when your mom asked you, to, you know, about something, you weren't supposed to do it. If you want to try to get away from it, you need to, you know, say something else. You need to invent something else in your mind. Nobody taught them that. We were born broken. It's called our flesh right now here's what ephesians 4 22 says about our flesh okay ephesians 4 22 says it is full of deceitful desire deceitful desire means we want things we shouldn't want we want things that aren't good for us all right and so so god is truth satan is a liar and the father of lies and he's gonna play on he's gonna he's gonna cater to our brokenness our deceitful desires that are within us to try to keep us in a lie now, when you take those, those pillars, those foundational elements, okay, now, what, what the implication of that is, is that the gospel is the greatest truth in the universe, okay? Now, now, the gospel is the story of Jesus. It is the redemption plan of God in sending his own son to live the life that you and I haven't lived and to die a death on the cross on our behalf that we might repent of our sin to put our faith in him and be joined to Jesus. That gospel message is the greatest truth in the universe. You see, it, it brings us to God. It unites us with God. It establishes us in the truth, okay? And so, so here's the deal. To reject the gospel is the greatest lie. Whenever you reject the gospel, you're essentially saying with your life, and I did this for 18 years, Jesus is not that important. You see, that's a lie. You see, for 18 years, I lived a life that said very loudly, very clearly, I don't trust him. I don't trust what he says. I don't trust what's in his word. I don't value it. I'm not going to run after it. I'm not going to spend myself for it. I'm not going to give, because I, I would, if you'd have asked me with my mouth, you know what, I, my dad asked me, well, I, I can still remember the time in the pickup, driving down the country roads in Scott County, going after a tractor, and my dad asked me about my faith, and I said, no, no, dad, I believe. It was a lie. And my whole life proved it to be a lie. You see, when you reject the gospel, you live the ultimate lie. And it's lies that will keep people from life. You ever thought about that? What, like what kept Adam and Eve from abundant life? It was a lie, right? What will keep people, what will keep your neighbors, maybe, maybe people in this room, what will keep you from forgiveness? What will keep you from being joined to Jesus? What will keep you from eternal life? What will keep you from the new heavens and the new earth? What will keep you... From not going to hell? 
It's, it's lies, right? Lies will ultimately cause people to perish when you believe a lie. And so truth is incredibly important. This is why in Revelation, a lot of people have wondered about this. In Revelation, it says several times, it says, uh, let me read you a verse, Revelation 21, 8 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, to embrace a life of lies will ultimately end in hell. All right, so, so what I'm saying is there's a lot at stake today, right? Like truth is vital. Truth is vital for, for you and I this morning to build our life upon. And really, when you think about everything else we do in life, it, doesn't everything run well when there's truth, right? So if, if you're in the business of selling and buying things, I don't, maybe you're not in the business of selling things, but I bet you're all in the business of buying things, right? When, when you buy things, when, when you buy something based on truth, it's a good deal, right? When you know, hey, this is what it's worth, this is what it will do, this is what it is, um, this is how much it costs, you know, this is a fair price. Whenever that is there, hey, things work well, right? But when it, whenever, whenever you function on a principle, if someone's trying to convince you that this is worth something that's not really worth, that's when things don't work well, right? That's where, that's where lawsuits come in and we feel cheated and people get bad deals and they suffer loss, right? So really all of life functions on this principle of truth. Okay, now let's move into what Jesus said here, okay? So, so what, what, did, what did the scribes, the Pharisees, the rule keepers, what did they say about truth? Well, essentially what they'd done, this, this one's a little different than the others. The others, they just took one commandment, right? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Actually, the marriage and divorce one, they took several. But this one, they take several. They kind of combine them together, okay? So they're, they're combining the third commandment. Remember what that is? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They're combining the ninth commandment, which is I shall not bear false witness. You know, don't lie. And then probably we think they're pulling in some others as well. Like I think they're pulling Leviticus 19.12 that says, do not swear by God's name falsely, so profane the name of, of God. And then I think they're also pulling in things like vow verses. Like, let me give you an example. Numbers 30, verse 2, that says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. Okay, so, so they're combining those. And in verse 33, they said, Jesus says, Again, you've heard it was said to those of old, You shall not fair, uh, swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, okay? So essentially what, what they had done is they had said, okay, here's, what, here's God's standard of righteousness in regards to truth. When you make a vow and when you say in the vow that you are vowing, you're swearing on the name of the Lord. When I say swear in this context, it's not like curse, okay? It's like promise, right? Covenant, okay? They're saying when you make this commitment and you pull in the name of God, that's binding, so if you break that, you're not righteous. But then here's where the scribes and Pharisees go. But everything else you vow on, well, it probably can be broken, right? That's why Jesus says, he goes on in the next verse and says, man, Jerusalem, that's the city of God. Heaven, that's God's, God's uh, throne. Earth, that's God's foot. In other words, they were making lesser vows and then feeling like they could break those because they didn't vow with God's name, right? So in other words, they were saying, you're righteous as long as you did not make a vow in God's name and break it, okay? This whole deal of oaths may seem a little bit strange to you. Um, in a day where they didn't have the formal contracts that we have today, you know, they didn't have lawyers as we have today and legal system where, you, you know, everything, you know, if you've ever bought a house, you've signed, how many times did you sign a paper? Like, 
Uh-huh, you didn't read it, did you? Like, who can ever read that much, right? You just like signed and signed and signed and signed and signed. Okay, what you were doing is you're, you're making promises, right? You're making a covenant. You're making an oath. You're making a vow, essentially, right? So, so we have those today. But, but I would even challenge you further. You know, since the playground, ha- haven't you heard people say things like, you know, man, I swear on my grandma's grave or, you know, I swear on, you know, th- this or that. Or, or even when you go into courtroom, you know, you put your hand on a Bible and, and you, okay, so, so what, what are we doing there? Well, those are O's, right? It's to call on someone or something sacred and say, man, it's, it's to try to convince people you're telling the truth, right? That's what that is. An oath is, is, is this, you know, emphasis that, man, I am, I'm, I'm serious, and I'm telling the truth, and I promise, and I swear on this deal, right? Now, is an oath always wrong? I don't think so, okay? Now, you're going to find people that disagree with me, and actually, I'm fine with that, okay? But uh, it's a little tricky in the Scripture. I, I don't think Jesus is saying an oath is always wrong. Let me tell you why I don't think that, because God makes an oath, okay? In Hebrews chapter 6, God actually makes an oath. He, he swears by the highest thing that he could swear on, which is what? Himself, okay? He, he swears on himself, okay? He, he, he says in verse uh, 13 of Hebrews 6, he says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, by the way, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things... In which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope he set before us. So the book of Hebrews says, look, God, God is, is so adamant that you, his people, know that he will not let you down, that he swore an oath on himself. Okay, so, so in Hebrews 6, God swears an oath. So I, I don't think Jesus is saying all oaths are wrong. I, I think that's missing the point of, of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, in fact, 2 Corinthians 1.23, Paul swears an oath. You know, he says he calls on God as a witness to, to bear witness to what he did at Corinth. And, and, and in Ruth, many of you, if you got married, um, you might have used that famous passage in Ruth 1, 16 through 18, where Ruth says, you know, well, I'm going to go where you go, and I'm going to lie where you lie, and I'm going to die where you die. And, you know, I call on God as witness against me, you know. So, so this is common in the Scripture. I, I, don't think, I don't think he's saying, don't ever swear on a root oath. I think what he's saying is this, to use an oath as a means to deceive is wrong. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, what, what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. So in Matthew 23, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, this, this makes it really clear what they were doing. Okay? So Matthew 23:16, Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men. Anyway, Jesus goes on to condemn that. Do you see what they're doing? They're basically making a tear. It's, it's kind of what they did in every one of these other commandments. They say, well, all right, if you, if you make an oath on God's name, oh, man, that's serious stuff. But did you just swear on the temple? Oh, if you swore on the temple, ah, no big deal. Now, if you swore on the gold in the temple, then you got to keep it. Yeah. Let me boil it down to this. It is it is really as ridiculous as did you ever did you guys ever do this when you were little, huh? Did you ever be like in the playground and and you're like you know, you know hey will you are you gonna be on my team on the kickball? You know are you gonna help me in the fort building or whatever? You're like oh yeah yeah I will I will you know. And then your buddy came along hey come be on our team. You're like I don't be on your team. The first guy's like hey you promised. You're like I have my fingers crossed right. 
We're laughing. That's exactly what they were doing, okay? It's exactly what some people do today, all right? It's, it's, like, it's like, well, in certain situations, it's okay for me not to tell the truth. That's essentially what they were saying. Now, what does Jesus have to say about that? Well, he says that the heart righteousness of the kingdom is to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, what does that mean? That means when you say yes to anything, whether you vowed on God's name, whether you vowed on Jerusalem or earth or heaven or your grandma's grave or your puppy dog's leg or whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. Jesus is saying his people will be the kind of people that when they said yes, it was yes. Like what they affirmed was truth. When they committed to something, when they said, I commit, I, vow, I, I will be there, I make a covenant, I made a promise, I made a contract. God's kind of people, kingdom people, will honor truth. They will be people of truth. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that all the words that we say as believers, they matter. I think one of the most jarring verses in the Bible. Man, I tell you what, listen to this verse, guys. Listen to this verse. Matthew, Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. You see, God's people should not be the kind of people that was like, well, I, I flew off the handle and I said a bunch of stuff, but I didn't really mean it. Well, then you shouldn't have said it. Because we are people who base our lives on truth, right? On God's truth. And Jesus said in two verses right before that, in Matthew 12, 34, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you should, number one here, be careful what you say. All right? So, so what is the righteousness of the kingdom? It's not, well, you know, if you swear on God's name, then you got to do it. But anything else, it's kind of a gray area. No. The righteousness of the kingdom is we're a people that are committed to truth. And so part of being committed to truth is we're careful with what we say. Have you ever noticed how many foolish, rash vows there are in the Bible? Like, like stories about people making vows that they just shouldn't have made. Like in this impulsiveness, in this carelessness, they make commitments that they shouldn't have made. They should have took it more seriously what they were saying. There's a bunch of those stories in the Bible. You remember Joshua. Joshua was heading in the promised land. And you remember God had told him, look, Joshua, you are, you are to wipe out everybody, all the Canaanites, all, all the people of the land. This is going to be your land. If you don't wipe them out, they're going to cause a snare to you. They're going to bring the people into idolatry. Everything's going to be bad if you don't wipe them out. So Joshua goes in, and, he, and he's defeating people after people. And then there's these clever folks. What they do is they give their old tennis shoes, their mowing shoes. You guys got mowing shoes, right? They're all beat up, old. You know, they're your worst ones. They put them on. And then they got the moldiest bread they could find, put it in their knapsacks, all right? Got some dust, threw it all over, didn't take a bath for a couple days. And then they took out to meet Joshua. And when they meet him, they, Joshua's first question is, hey, where are you from? Now, why is he asking that? Well, if they're from Canaan, what's he going to do? Whew. He's to destroy him, right? And they said, oh, we're from way, 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 way. You, you probably have never even heard of it. It's so far away. We've been traveling for months. Look at our shoes. They're plum wore out. Look at our bread. All we got is moldy bread. You guys got any good bread? Because, man, we, we've been traveling forever. And Joshua's like, oh, okay. And then without consulting the Lord, without praying, Joshua says, all right. And they said, 
He, they say, well, we'll make a covenant with you. You know, we'll be friends. We, we, we'll, we'll make a promise together that we'll never harm each other. And Joshua was like, okay. Well, it turns out after they make the covenant, they're like, hey, actually, we're from right around the corner. But Joshua does not destroy them. Why? Because he's made a covenant. Man, I think the worst one in the Bible. Have you guys ever read, where is it? It's in uh, Judges, isn't it? A guy named Jephthah. I mean, Judges is just full of idolatry, messed up, broken, damaged people, all right? And there's this guy that he wants to win a battle so bad that he thinks that he can kind of leverage God. And so he makes this vow to God that, God, if you'll, if you'll let me win this battle, whatever comes out of the front door of my house next, I'll sacrifice to you. I have read that over and over and over again and just thought, what was that dude thinking? And, I mean, the only thing I can think, like how he thought that was going to go well, the only thing I can, I can think of is that he had a dog like mine, Snickers, and he was hoping that Snickers would come out the, dog for, out the, out the door first. You know, be like, phew, I just got to kill Snickers, you know? His daughter comes out. Remember? You remember that story? His daughter comes out? I mean, just try. Like, don't open your mouth and say dumb things. Saul, when they're, in the, when they're battling the Philistines and they, they got him on the run, he makes this vow that any soldier that eats or drinks anything before the Philistines are all driven in the dirt. You know, he's, he'll, I don't remember what he said he's going to do to him. His son didn't hear him, Jonathan. In the New Testament, Herod, remember that? He gets drunk, having his big shindig with his friends. Dancer comes in, Vegas dancer, tie, you know, she's all scantily clad, does this dance, gets, you know, gets all of his buddies all hooping and hollering. And when she's done, Herod makes this dumb vow. He says, hey, what, up to half of my kingdom, whatever you want, name it. She goes back to her mother. I, I, I kind of picture how the conversation went. She, I think she probably was going to ask for like a condo in Jerusalem or, you know, a, a Ferrari chariot. I don't know, something like that, you know. But her mom is a wicked, wicked woman who hates John the Baptist because of what he's been preaching against her, particularly because of her, her, her immoral relationships. And she convinces her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so John the Baptist dies because of a foolish vow. You, you see what I'm saying? The Bible's full of people that just should have kept their mouth shut. Like, like don't, don't, don't vow foolishly. Every careless word you speak, you'll be held accountable for. And so Jesus is teaching that we're to be the kind of people whose yes is yes and whose no is no. We, we shouldn't actually need vows. Again, I, I, I'm, I particular, my particular conviction is, is not that if you go to court, you should say, hey, I'm not putting my hand on the Bible. That's not my conviction. Some guys believe that. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I think that's overstating what Jesus is saying here. I think what he's saying is not that all O's are bow, bad. I think what he's saying is we ought to be a people that when we say yes, we don't need anything else. We don't need a double promise. We don't need to swear on anybody's grave. We don't need to do that because if I said yes, it's yes, all right? That's, that's the standard of righteousness that God is calling us to. I want you to think for just a little bit why people lie, okay? Why, why do we lie? I, I think I'm, I've, I've kind of gathered it. I think my opinion here is into three kind of big groups. Number one, I think people lie because they are afraid of the consequences of telling the truth, Okay? So I think there's a whole category of lies that is essentially, I'm lying to get out of something bad, 
right? I'm lying so that I don't have to pay the price. I'm lying so that I don't have to own up to what I did. I'm lying so that I don't have to own up to what I said. I'm lying because I don't want to pay the fine. I don't want to suffer the loss. I don't want the consequences of my action. Sometimes, and this is ridiculous, sometimes it is very small things that we're trying to get out of. Have you ever thought about what's, what's the price of truth in your life? Like, like how costly is it, does it have to be for you to break your word, for you to lie? For you to be like the devil. You ever thought about it that way? So for instance, ding dong, phone or doorbell rings, Sunday afternoon, up walks somebody out down your driveway. You don't, you've never seen them before in your life. You can tell they're carrying a little satchel of goods that they're going to try to sell you. Your kid goes to the door and you're like, tell them I'm not home. Now in that case, you just... You just said something that was not true. And you did so to get out of a 30-second conversation with a salesman. Have you ever thought about the cheap price that people give away their integrity for? Like, really? Like, like you, you'd rather give up your integrity. You'd rather speak a lie. You'd rather hear your children say, hey, guys, at times it's fine to lie. Because you won't get up off the recliner. Go to the door and say, no, thank you. I'm poor. So number one, sometimes it's just to avoid consequences. Sometimes it's just selfishly justifying ourselves. I think we got time for this. Matthew 21, there, there's a incredible story about the more you lie... I've noticed this. The more you lie, the more truth is not even an option. Have you ever known anybody? We've had kids come through our Team Kid program. Spooky. It was spooky. They did not know how to tell the truth. Like, like even, when, even when it was easier to tell, like the truth was better, they would still lie. And, and, and I mean, like it's a mind breaker. Like, like what has happened in this kid's life? That, that they default, even, even when the truth would, would not harm them in any way, they still pick lies. I think it's because the more you lie, the, more you, the less you think about truth and the more you're just thinking about your own angle. Like, like when, when you get asked a question, when, when you're confronted with a situation, you're not thinking, what is the truth? You're thinking, all right, how do I, how do I deceive this person? That's where the scribes and Pharisees were. Perfect example. Okay, here we go. Matthew 21. And when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders and the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, so they asked him a question, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I'll ask you a question. And so basically Jesus says, if you answer me, I'll answer you. Okay. Jesus asked them a question. Here's his question. Verse 25. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Okay, so the question he asked him is, John the Baptist's baptism, was that from God or was that, did John just make that up? All right, it's a simple question. What do you think? Which is it from, heaven or from man? So here's what happens. It says they went away and they huddled, okay? And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why didn't you believe him then? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd because they hold John as a prophet. Do you notice what's not being discussed? What's not being discussed is what's true. Is it from heaven or man? They're not even asking that question. 
You know what they're doing? They're saying, well, if we say this, this is what's going to happen to us. If we say that, I think that's where a lot of people are. I think a lot of people have lied so much that they're not thinking about what's the truth. They're thinking about what's my angle here? How do I get an advantage here? How do I stay out of trouble here? What's going to be the best thing for me? In other words, my answer doesn't have anything to do with the truth. It has to do with what is best for me. So number one, people lie to avoid consequences. Number two, people lie to gain an advantage. So sometimes people lie just so that you'll think better of them. You'll think that they did something they didn't do. Maybe there's a financial reward. Maybe they get a better price for their product. Maybe they get more money back on their taxes. All kinds of advantage, short-term, immediate thinking that cause people to lie. And then number three, I think people lie because it is costly to do what we've promised to do, okay? So there's times where you make a commitment. There's times that you say yes to something, and then have you ever found out you say yes to it, and then you get into it, and it's, man, it's more than you wanted, right? It's going to take more time. It's going to be more difficult. You're going to miss out on something you want to do. Maybe you're going to be miserable. Maybe you're going to regret it, right? And a lot of people, that is enough to cause them to go back on their word. It's interesting to me that this passage comes right next to last week's. Remember last week, marriage and divorce? Isn't it interesting that the next passage Jesus talks about is making a vow to the Lord? If it's one vow that most Americans have made who are married anyway, it is their marriage vows, right? If there's one time that they have swore before God and witnesses to do something, it's, it's marriage. Now, isn't it interesting that most divorce boils down to this, okay? At some point in the marriage, and again, there's exceptions. If you want to know the exceptions, listen to my sermon last week, all right? But we're going to boil this down to most divorces in America anyway. Boil down to this. It boils down to keeping our vows, keeping our word got really hard, right? It got really hard. And in fact, I would just say most marriages, at some point in the marriage, it's going to be hard to keep your vows. At some point, it's going to be miserable, okay? If you're not married yet and you're still under the Cinderella delusion that your marriage is going to be nothing but roses and sweetness, okay, please keep believing that, all right, because you, you ought to have that time. We want to give that to you, okay? Um, those of you who've been married a long time, you know that at some point it's going to get hard. It's hard to keep your vows. Like it, it's hard to love and to cherish and to be for and to love unconditionally. It's hard to do that. And I would even go further. In some marriages, it gets miserable. In some marriages, it's unpleasant, it's lonely, excruciating maybe even. And so breaking the marriage vow is a way of getting relief. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've had people in my office who just say, I'm just sick of it. Why are you getting a divorce? I just can't take it anymore. What are they saying? They're saying, this deal, this commitment, this vow, this oath that I took is so hard right now, I don't want to do it, and I'm willing to break my vows to get out of it. Now, here's what I would tell you, okay? Maybe you're not married yet, and I would say if you're not married yet, I want you to actually think about the vows you're going to take. Every, every premarital counseling session we do, I have them go through, and I'm like, all right, here's, I want you to pick, and I want you to pick things that you are going to say with your heart, all right? I don't want you saying stuff before God and these witnesses that, that isn't reality, that isn't in your heart, that you don't take uber serious, all right? 
And, and, and so I really think if it's in you to say, hey, I'm in this deal as long as it's not miserable. Man, if it's what that guy said, if it's going to be excruciating at some point, you know, then, then I, I'm going to change my vows. And I actually think you should, okay? Now, if you change your vows to ones that I'm about to say, I'm not going to do your wedding, okay? But that's fine because it's really not hard to get somebody to do your wedding. It really isn't. Like, if you go to Colorado, I believe you can actually sign up on the Internet and do your own wedding, right? You can do both parts. You know, do you take? And you can just turn around. I do, you know? You can just do that number, right? So it's not a big deal that I won't do your wedding. But I'm just saying I would rather you change your vows than I would you vow something you're not serious about, all right? So here's some alternate vows for American weddings, okay? Here we go. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you until you make me really miserable for several months at a time, and then I'm done, okay? I, I, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you until I'm sick of your failures, or until my midlife crisis, or until your harsh and abusive words push me over the edge, or until adultery, uh, I'll be with you, I do, all right? I'm actually being serious about that. Like, I think it'd be better to vow that than it would to be to vow to God to do something else, to vow that you will love, honor, and cherish until death do you part and then not do it. I think the words we say are serious. I think the promises we make are serious. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever read through the book of Proverbs? If you've been at Lincoln, you know, we last year, didn't we do the summer in Proverbs? Did you notice how, in my mind, almost ridiculously much Solomon talks about co-signing? like offering a pledge for somebody. Like, it just seems like there's 31 chapters, and it seems like he mentions it way too much. Like, 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 like it happens all the time or something. But you know what he's getting at there? Don't, don't give your word to something that you're not willing to do, right? I actually don't think it's bad to co-sign for somebody on a, on a note, on a loan, as long as, two things here, as long as you are willing, and here's the second one, able to do the whole thing on your own, right? So, so whenever you co-sign, nobody ever starts out with, hey, I'm probably going to default on this. Nobody ever says that, do they? You know what they say? They say, this is going to be no problem. I just The bank just won't give me a loan, but I got a, I got a great job making $100,000 a year. You know, it's not, it's not a problem for me to make the bills. I just need someone to sign on. Would you be willing to do that for me? You're my friend, you know. You're my mom. You're my dad. You're my whatever, you know. And, and then, yes, uh, no problem. You know, it'll, it'll never matter. Jason Dirks, you know. And then one week later, eh, I lost that job. You know, I just couldn't take anymore. I think I'm going to take some time off, you know. I'm moving back in with the folks, going to play some video games, you know. And then what? There I am, right? Now, which is fine as long as I am willing and I am able. See, you can be willing and not able, or you can be able and not willing. Willing and able to do what you promised to do. That's at the heart of this, guys, is that we be people who say yes or no. And once we've said yes or no, that's it. It's the truth. Turn to Psalm 15. We'll, we'll finish up with Psalm 15. I think it's one of the greatest little chapters in the Bible about truth, okay? O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? So who gets to be with God? Verse 2, he walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. That's interesting, isn't it? Speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And then listen to this little phrase. I would underline this for you in your Bible. 
who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Okay? Now, swears, again, it's not cursing, right? It's, it's making a promise, okay? So it's the one who promises to his own hurt and does not change. See, nobody ever promises thinking they'll be hurt, right? Anytime you get into a partnership, anytime you make a commitment, anytime you make a vow, anytime you make a sale, anytime you sign your name on a mortgage, nobody ever thinks, man, this is going to be bad. But a lot of times it gets bad, right? And so whenever you swear and that it ends up to your own hurt, look what he says, and does not change. You know what that means? That means that truth will cost you sometimes. Everybody hear that? That means that telling the truth will cost you. Telling the truth will hurt you sometimes. Like, like it'll, be, it'll be painful. So I, I know your next question. Well, then why should I do it? Like if I, if I can break my word, if I can tell a lie, if I can maneuver around the truth, and get out of it, shouldn't I do that? Look at the rest of the psalm. Verse 5. Who does not put his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. And then this little last phrase that wraps it all up. He who does these things shall never be moved. Who's promising that? God. He who does these things shall never be moved. You see, with every lie, it, it boils down to this, okay? With every lie... I can either dishonor God by lying and try to get my own little benefit, right? Try to get out of something, try to get an advantage, try not to be miserable, not to be stuck in a hard thing. Or I can say, all right, God, you said all of life is built on truth. The gospel is built on truth. You are a truthful God. You never lie. You never change. You never break your covenants. So I'm going to be like you. And I'm going to trust you. You see this? I'm going to trust you to take care of me. He who does these things shall never be moved. And I think that's at the heart of the person who is truthful. Is he trusts God to take care of him. He trusts God to take care of him. Maybe one more thing should be added. And that's it. He really loves people. Okay, so I think to be truthful, you need to trust God. You need to be able to trust God to take care of you so that when you're in that pinch, you're in that bind, and it's hard, and it, it's painful, and, and you're tempted to get out of it by lying, you're like, no, I'd rather God take care of me. I'd rather trust him. And then number two, I, I'm going to really love people. Okay, now where I'm getting that is Ephesians 4.25. talks about people that put on a new heart and a new mind, God's kind of heart. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak truth. Why? We are members of one another. You see, anytime you're lying, you're not thinking of the other person. Right? Whenever you tell a lie, who are you thinking of? Me. Right? But when you lie, essentially you're not loving people. You don't want to be lied to, do you? I've always told my kids this. I've always told them, I said, look, me and you, we can work through Pretty much anything. Whatever failure you've done, whatever thing you busted up, whatever law you broke, we're still okay. We'll work through it. But when you lie to me, you basically say, I don't want to have a relationship with you, Dad. 
I don't want you to know me. I, like we can't, we can't be, we can't be who we ought to be together if there's lies between us. So, so if we're trusting God and if we're really loving other people, guess what? We're going to be people of truth. Now, is it ever, is there ever a situation where it's okay to lie? Well, guess what? Our time's up. So, your small group leader will answer that for you tonight, okay? No, they really will. Like, we've got it in the small group questions, okay? You're going to look at uh, the Hebrew midwives. Remember that? Pharaoh told them, you know, hey, you're going to kill every baby boy that comes out of a, a Hebrew mother's womb. You know, you're going to drown them, suffocate them, throw them out, whatever. The Hebrew women wouldn't do it, remember? And they told Pharaoh a lie when, when, when he came and talked to him about it, and God, God bless him for it. So Sam Storm says this. Sam Storm says there are times where because of wickedness and evil, someone does not deserve the truth, right? So in other words, in Nazi Germany, there were many, if you ever heard the story of Corey Toonboom, there were times where Jews were being hid in a basement, in, a, in an attic, in the walls, and the Nazis would come around saying, where are the Jews? We're going to take them to the concentration camp and kill them. And people would not tell them where they were. And basically, in those situations, storms, and I, I agree with him, says that you know because of evil and wickedness, you, you don't deserve the truth. Like, I'm not going to help you murder people, right? So, that, But how you play that out into everyday life, that's where your small group leader is going to be super helpful tonight, okay? So let's pray. God, I just thank you for uh, being a God of truth. God, I thank you that you are dependable and faithful. We can trust you. God, you, you, you never lie. And so, God, we, we can base our life upon the gospel. Father, I, I thank you for the blessings of truth, and I pray that we would be a people of truth. God, please enable us to, to follow you in this area. God, please bring repentance where there needs to be repentance this morning. God, if there are those who have, have been living a lie, telling lies, God, I pray that you would just convict them and that you'd bring repentance this morning. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.